BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. Looking for hair removal tools that not only deliver smooth results, but also make you feel totally in control? Enter Conair Girlbomb. They're like your secret weapons for smooth, sleek results. Made just for us. From the ultimate Girlbomb grip to the professional-grade blades, say goodbye to settling for less. With Conair Girlbomb, you get the precision and power that used to only be exclusive to men's tools. So take your hair removal routine to the next level. With Conair Girlbomb, available at Walgreens. Darlings, I have a few shows coming up. Firstly, at Cafe Carlisle on November 28th and 29th, the show is called It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Isaac. And in case you didn't realize, that's going to sort of be like a little holiday show. So it's going to be totally fun. My band, stories, I'm going to re-gift because it's around the holidays and I need to make room for my new re-gifting. So there's that. Also, I have another show on December 1st in Stony Brook, which is in New York. And that's going to be really fun, too. Please go to my website, Hello Isaac, to get tickets. HelloIsaac.com. Finally, I did make contact with Liz Fair to ask her permission to use two songs in the musical. And she said very kindly, no. And she wrote a little note to me. I didn't ask the Rolling Stones to lend me their songs. I used them (gasps) for inspiration to write my own. I advise you to do the same. This ended up being, like, crucial advice. Because even though I really loved those mashups and thought they were cool, her telling me through this letter that I needed to really focus on writing my own music to make the piece ended up being, like, crucial advice that I used. And I was like, okay, well, now I've got to, like, figure out how to create, like, my own, truly my own musical engine. And I think a lot of great songs came out of it as a result. This is Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and in this episode, I talk to Pulitzer Prize and Tony Award-winning playwright, composer, and lyricist Michael R. Jackson. Hello, Isaac. It's Michael R. Jackson. I can't wait to mix it up. I was on a panel that was set up by New York One to talk about the theater. And one of the people was Michael R. Jackson, who I just couldn't wait to meet. And we kind of had this weird connection on that panel. And I made a mental note, like, if I ever get a chance to talk to Michael R. Jackson again, it would be like such a pleasure. And Anyway, I invited him to be on the podcast because I'm just such a big fan and I feel like he has a lot to say about stuff that I value, that I love a lot. Things like the theater, things like art and culture and New York City. Anyway, um, not a minute to waste. Let's get right into it. 
Michael R. Jackson, what a pleasure to be talking to you. I am a gigantic, gigantic fan of yours. As I am of yours. But darling, okay, I'm going to start off with this one question, and you just slap me if you think it's, it's something you don't want to answer. How old are you, darling? I am 42 years old. 42 years old. I'm so fascinated by your generation. You have a lot of responsibility, man. You have a lot of scary shit in the future and you're dealing with a lot of scary shit from the past. That's that's right. Um, Let me ask you a silly thing. Do you go out? Do you go to like clubs? Do you go to bars? I I don't. I'm a total homebody. (laughs) Did you ever? Did you ever go out? When I was in my 20s and I had just gotten to New York, because I got to New York as an 18-year-old, I tried to do that to the extent to which I was able to, but I was pretty miserable with it. I was right. it was not my scene. Okay. I mean, like, it's weird because I don't really know you, but I know so much about you based on some of the stuff in Strange Loop and like what I'm assuming. Or so is you think you biographical. Know. <laughs> so you right, think exactly. you know. Not so autobiographical, <laughs> but self-referential but- for sure. Well, so far, darling, you're batting like, you know, 100% of what's in the show, right? Mm -hmm. But I, I do wonder about that because you're an artist, right? And for me as a young artist, I mean, I'm from New York City and it was scary for me going out too, you know? But I did it. I did it a lot. And I did it as like a teenager, like a 14 year old. I was going out. Well, that's sort of how I feel. Like when I sort of look back on my life and I like, I've had so many conversations like this with other gay men specifically who are older than me. And I've been having these conversations since I was 22 years old, where right. they were like, go out, kill, yeah. kill yourself, act crazy, <laughs> jump out no. a window, fuck everybody. Fuck not- <laughs> and, I, and I like look back and I'm like, oh yeah, I should have done that. But the thing that I always think is, yes, but I needed to have started doing that when I was 11. Exactly like what I did. I'm serious. Because by the time I was like in my late 20s and early 30s, I was like, yeah, going out, I'm over it. But I will say, I'm telling you this. I don't know. Do you have like a relationship in your life? Do you have like a significant other? Are you looking for that? I'm a lonely spinster. I did just go on a a hilarious date. I did go on a date for the first time in a long time the other day. That was very nice, but had a very funny PS to it. Well, you want to tell us about it or what? So I went on this date with this guy who I met on Tinder, Hinge, one of the two of those. Nice. I like it already. And then it was a nice date, but like, because I hadn't been out on a date in a long, like a long time, in the moment, I was thinking about like, oh, how do I feel about this? And how I felt about it had nothing to do with him. He was like a nice guy. But I was like in real time sort of sorting through my what do I want or need or whatever. And part Mm -hmm. of our conversation, we were talking about like what the experience of being on apps was like. And I mentioned Mm -hmm. that one of the apps that I was on was Raya. And I told him that like Raya, I hate it. It's like so antisocial. It feels weird. Um, Like the one experience I had on Raya literally ended up being a hookup with someone and I don't like it. And and I was describing him how it worked. And then after the date, mm-hmm. we sort of parted ways. And then the next day, I was watching a movie and I checked my phone. And on Raya, you have to get recommendations from people to get on there. And he <laughs> asked me for a recommendation. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is amazing. <laughs> Which just that felt like so crazy. like that. And that is my that is like in a nutshell, my life. That is like like because, so a Michael R. Jackson experience. Except here's the thing. Like you're from a generation where you might remember before apps. Like my I, I do. I don't have any of those apps on my phone. Right. I mean, I'm a happily married guy, but you know, I would never know how to I would feel crazy meeting. I mean, somebody I don't from- know how. I mean, that's the thing about it, is like, you know, I do remember before the apps and like I, like, I remember, like, going into bars, and I was, like, terrified. Terrified. Be- but it was because, again, like, I didn't have any, like, mentors. I didn't have a mm. circle of friends to tell me what to mm-hmm. do or to do positive reinforcement or anything. 
But any, gay people just never do. But yeah, go no, on. But I feel like whenever I look back on in like the 60s and 70s or whatever, and I, I hear people like that, you found your tribe, you figured it out. But like, I like arrived right. from Detroit, Michigan to New York City in 1999. And I had no one. I literally had no one. I get it. But I want to say, like, you know, as a gay person growing up in Brooklyn, New York, amongst Hasidic Jews, I had no one either. When I moved That's to the true. city, I was 21 years old. I was working at Perry Ellis. I met some people and I was terrified. I was d- working at Jeffrey Banks. You know who Jeffrey Banks is? Mm-hmm. He's a great designer, a great American designer. And one of the other assistants, this darling young man was like, you're coming with me to a gay bar. And I was like, I am, you know. And I went with him to Uncle Charlie's. And like you said, It's like you walk in and you feel this intense kind of bond with these people. And though you don't want to fuck every single one of them or like even meet any of them, at least you feel like you're in a place where you are right somehow as opposed to like a crazy big old sore thumb or someone on an app swiping left or right and then going to meet someone who looks like something on a picture and then looks completely different in person and is completely different from what they represent. And there was another dimension of this for me, which was that coming from Detroit, weirdly, I actually did have a group in Detroit. Like, I was called the Black Gay Teenage Storyline because, like, I grew up, like, there were all of these boys, like, all over the place. And, like, there was this whole sort of underground Melrose Place situation going on (laughs) where everyone was just sleeping with everyone. And one day these people were dating and then the next day the other people date. It was like a whole thing. But even within that, I felt on the sort of outside of it because I didn't have, like, free reign to run around the way that they did. Like, my parents Mm -hmm. sort of kept close tabs on me. So I couldn't, like, sneak out of the house or things like that much. And, And so then, like, I left that to then go to New York City. And when I got to New York City, it was, like, a different culture. It wasn't like Black gay boys. It was, like, very white. And that was something that I really had to, like, wrap my brain around. And it took me many years to, to, like, figure out how to even navigate it. And even then, I was like, oh, my God, I hate this so much. Like, the scene of it and, like, the culture of it was so not really what I was interested in, but I, like, quote-unquote, had to assimilate into it. You had to. And then, like, assimilating into it, like, all the feelings that come along with that. And so then I went through that, and then I got to a point where I hated everyone, and then I just mm-hmm. wanted to kill all the white gay men, just wanted to stab them <laughs> in their fucking eyes <laughs> and, like, rip their throats out and toss them <laughs> in the Hudson River. Well, me too, you know, for other reasons. For sure. But, yeah. but, like, and so then that was a whole thing, and then I found, like, my friends, but then, by then, like, the app world was starting, and then that was a whole new thing to figure out. Right, right. A whole new thing. Just downloading the fucking apps right. is like, you know, yeah, yeah. <laughs> stressful to me. And then prep. And then like, all, just so many things, like new things. Oh, honey, prep. I can't even, uh, are you kidding me? Prep is never going to be in my world. Never, never, I, never. I, mean, I will never prep, darling. Never. I don't, I mean, we'll see. Uh, maybe, <laughs> I, maybe I'll get there eventually. You will get there. If you have to get there, darling, you will get there. So let's start from the very beginning. Let's talk about you as an artist. Where'd you go to college? NYU. Of course. And what did you major in at NYU? Did you Uh, major in playwriting or acting? uh, Well, I ended up focusing on playwriting, but broadly it was dramatic writing. Dramatic writing. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is so broad. I can't even believe that. Do you think that your education prepared you for like the adult world that you live in now? Well, to backtrack a little bit, I was very focused on writing from like a young age. And all through my high school years, I took creative writing as my um, elective. And then on top of Mm -hmm. that, we had writers and residents come into our creative writing class who I worked with. And then one of those writers and residents also did a private writing workshop outside of school that I took for like two years. And so Mm -hmm. I came to NYU, even though I hadn't been focused on playwriting, I like was very much like, I want to be a writer professionally. Like that was like 
always on my mind from like age 14. Was it a novelist you wanted to be? Was it a journalist? I wanted to write for soap operas. <laughs> <laughs> wow. God, darling, I thought I was shallow. I thought I loved you. Now I really love you, darling. You are literally like some like crazy teenage girl or something. Yeah, it's in great. a way, in a way, in a way. It's great. It's great. It's great. Me too. Me too, by the yeah, way. Yeah. You know, anything glittery or dramatic or melodramatic, by the way, darling. I love a melodrama. Yeah. It's my favorite, my favorite of all favorites. It's pretty great. Anyway, so you came to NYU and you studied dramatic writing. And then did you have a, well, I know you had a job. You had several jobs. Yes, Is that many, right? I did some of everything. Some of everything. And you continued to push forward and write stuff and get involved. Tell me about that. What made you decide to become a, a theatrical or a, a playwright? So, you know, as I mentioned, I was really into soap opera writing. And my plan mm -hmm. was somehow I would become the head writer for One Life to Live. That was like <laughs> going to be what I was going to do. And so I interned at All My Children in the production office. I interned at ABC Daytime. Like I was very focused on that. But because I was in school, you know, I was taking my playwriting, screenwriting classes, and they would send us to the theater a lot. And also I had grown up doing children's theater. My mother and I used to go and see shows. So I loved theater, but uh -huh. I developed more of a, an appreciation for it in New York, going to see Broadway, off-Broadway, experimental theater, yeah. whatever, you know, we would mm -hmm. see. And then taking my playwriting classes and reading plays, I just started to fall in love with theater and with play plays and musicals specifically. Um, and so even though I still had this idea that I would do. Was there one that you saw? Uh, I mean, there were so many, but the one that I often reference is um, the Brian Denenke, uh Death of a Salesman. Really? Yeah, that like had a huge impact on me. Michael R. Jackson. This is so surprising. You know Sandra Bernhard. She's one of my best, best friends. I love, I love Sandra Bernhard so, 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 so much. Well, who doesn't? Who doesn't? I don't know if you know this. Her big inspiration when she was a little girl was seeing Carol Channing and Hello, Dolly. Which so, I never was, saw until Bette Midler. I had never seen it until Bette Midler was in it. Bette Midler kind of killed that, yeah, didn't yeah, she? Yeah, yeah, I mean, she killed it. But but the point is that, like, for me to hear The Death of a Salesman starring Brian Dennehy was the thing that made you go like, hey, Arthur Miller, playwriting, like, wait a minute, just a yeah. minute, you know? Yeah, that's a great, great, I love to know that. You said you didn't have any, like, gay kind of mentors who took you to gay clubs and showed you how to do stuff, but was there, like, somebody who had mentored you as a writer that you have a great deal of, I don't know what, like, um, in your past? I mean, so, when I went to grad school, also at NYU, and I went pretty much straight through, like, I did three and a half years at NYU undergrad, then had like a semester off, and then I started at NYU. Wow. So I would say like my mentoring more happened once I was studying musical theater writing specifically. So that was people like Bill Finn was uh, one of my teachers, and he was someone who I really respected. Bill Finn. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Michael John Lacusa, um, And all of my teachers at NYU, you know, some whose names you may not know, like that, that I really started to come into my own voice mm -hmm. in that program, in the, the graduate musical theater writing program. Right. But, and how integrated was that experience for you? Was it? What do you mean? Were there men? Integrated? I mean, racially, socially, oh. sexually? Oh, like, yeah. Did you recognize like yourself in that program? Was it something that you had to kind of suspend disbelief again? Oh, no. Because you mentioned... The, the, the NYU grad program was, like, exactly the right place at exactly the right time. It had such an interesting mix of people who were also in different stages of their lives. It wasn't like just a, a room full of like 22 year olds. There was like one of my classmates was an older gentleman who had had a whole life. He was an Episcopalian minister who loved mm -hmm. musical theater and decided to, to go back to school. There were some people who were closer to my age. There were some people who were older. A dear friend of mine in the program had like sold her house in Minnesota and like, come on. And, like come, come to the program. And so we all like were just co coming from wherever we were one of the students is from 
South Korea. Like it, it was a real mix. And we all just, we were all just coming for the love of musicals. This is amazing. And you know, that is such a unifying thing, right? I always love these stories of people who come from outside and get involved, not just in the theater in New York City, because, but it is a real, it is a real capital um, of uh, for theater, isn't it? New York yeah. City. But any kind of theater, it just kind of brings people together in this incredible way. Like Alan Cumming, I did this talk with Alan Cumming, and it's amazing. You know, he has a really, really, really dark past. Like his father was abusive and it was crazy. He was a drunken. And, and I don't know how he made it. You know, I don't know how the soul came across. And he's not just a great artist. He's a fun guy, yeah, you know? And I think about you and the adversity that you've faced, you know, like, um, tell me a little bit about that, because I just assume that there was some truth in Strange Loop. And that's what resonated with me was this kind of thing where you kind of looked at the religion and you looked at the beliefs or that one Usher character looked at the beliefs of his mother and it was like, I'm sorry, you know, I just can't. I mean, that's what I loved. I loved the violent reaction against, like, that's what to me felt right about that play, you know? So... You know, part of the reason why I'm always very, you know, stern and specific about not describing the show as autobiographical, and I'm saying that for a reason, it's because it's not a one-to-one -one ratio of, like, actual events, per se, but it's about the emotion. Like, that this is what it felt, it's what it felt like. And so I just, it was important to me in working on A Strange Loop to... Just try to, as much as I could, capture the emotional reality of what it, it, it feels like to bump up against, like, the religion and the homophobia and sort of the, the alienation. And the white gay The white thing gay thing. And, exactly. And just mm -hmm. the alienation overall. And mm -hmm. to also weigh that against how much of that is external and how much of it is internal. And how do you mm -hmm. reconcile those two things? Right. I mean, I have to tell you, like, I don't like relevant theater. I don't necessarily need theater or something or art to be relevant. As a matter of fact, I don't like it when it's relevant. Because you were talking about how this is not necessarily autobiographical and you're really strict talking about that. Congratulations, you know, like try getting through any interview with anybody not posing it that way or saying, wow, yeah. you know, Strange Loop, it was so politically correct. It was so right. relevant. It was so, but that's bullshit because your play was good not because of that. It just happened that the subject and you are fat, black, and queer. And so those things together make up like everybody goes, oh, I'm hugging this big right. fat, fat black queen or something <laughs> you know it's like fuck that fuck that right a little bit yeah so like i and i'm glad if you raised that this question about relevance because anytime like i now read a description of uh, something that's coming and i hear relevant timely <sighs> of the oh moment God. it's like a huge right. huge red flag <laughs> for me and i'm like oh no this is gonna be I, i'm gonna have to go eat my fucking vegetables Mm -hmm. And like, right. And, 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 and on top of that, I'm like, whenever you say something like of the moment, I'm like, well, guess what? The moment has already passed, but it's time you get yes. there. So mm -hmm. I was not in a strange loop interested in relevance or, or timeliness. Oh, and also it, it literally was impossible because that musical is about 20 years of processing an experience and then compressing it into one show. So then, like, that's another reason why it's not me, because, like, Usher, the character, is 25 going on 26. I'm 42. Mm -hmm. So, right. like, there are things about A Strange Loop that I look at that don't even necessarily reflect what I think today or tomorrow. Of course. You know? And so, mm -hmm. and so like, and but it, the expression and the sort of articulation of rage, that was what I was going for. Right. Well, you got it. You you achieved it, darling. You really did. That's what stayed with me was the rage against. And also the sadness of having to have such rage against someone like your mother and your family that you're supposed to be accepted by. And no matter what, they can't bring themselves to say the words. They just can't. You or know? you think that they can't. 
Like, because this is the thing that's tricky and about it. you don't it. want them to be, basically, I don't want them to, okay? It's too yeah. late. You should have said the words, you're too late, bye-bye. I mean, that's how I feel. I don't know how you feel, but go Well, on. I mean, another reason why I don't describe this autobiographical per se is because, like, I am very close to my mother. And, like, in our relationship is different than it was when I was 17 years old. But, like, the things about her that I made a, as a 17-year-old hated or thought I hated or whatever are the things mm-hmm. that today I love, that I appreciate. Like, we both have grown as people over mm-hmm. the years. And that's very, very important to me. Um, well, can I just say one thing? This is going to sound so mean and horrible. Yeah. But give it a minute. Because, you know, you're going to change and she's going to change and it's going to change again. Once, I, I'm not kidding you, wait, yeah. you ready for a little story? This is a very name-droppery kind of story, but of I used to be quite good friends with Steve Sondheim, mm-hmm. right? And I had a, also a really, really fraught relationship with my mother. And Steve had a really fraught relationship with his mother, darling. I don't know if you ever read anything about yeah, it, yeah. but she was a monster, right? And my mother is not such, you know, she's she's she can be very, like, you know, push-buttony and screw-turning. But at one point, she said something that was so mean to me. And I called Steve and I was like, that's it. I hate her. I'm so excited. It's one emotion that I feel now, pure hatred. And he said, okay, darling, give it a minute. You know, just give it a minute. You're going to go back. She's going to pull you back. Anyway, so I'm just telling you that you feel like this with your mom. I'm going the opposite way. She's probably going to do some stuff that you're going to hate again, and you're going to have to come around again. I'm serious. I I hear you, (laughs) but I mean, but I I have to say, like, she and I are, like, in such a, such a really good place because I understand her. Like, I see her as an actual human being in a way that I did not as a young person. And because I see her as a human, it makes it difficult for me to ever rely on my feelings as like a a way of like understanding her behavior, even if she does or says things that I like object to. And you've separated sort of enough so that you feel... Yeah, I've done like so, I mean, so much work to like understand that like my feelings are not they're reality. not the truth necessarily. I mean, they're they're real, like they're real mm-hmm. to me, but I can separate them from the like, true narrative, the uh, mm-hmm. like tangible, like what's happening in the moment. And that was how like, old is your mother? Uh, seventy four. Wow, she's a chicken, darling. She's so <laughs> young. She is so young. <laughs> all right, call me in twenty years. We'll talk about this again in twenty years. Okay, all right, I'm sure. serious. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. 
Equal housing opportunity. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. All right, so let me get some of these things out of the way. Like, how the fuck do you write a play, darling? How do you do that? Oh, okay? hell if I know. <laughs> <laughs> I love that answer. That's my um, favorite you know, answer of the day. It, like, every, every piece is different. Um, I don't have, like, a process of how I do everything that I do. Like, A Strange Loop began extremely organically as a monologue that was just, mm-hmm. at the time, I, was, I had just graduated from undergrad, I was living in the middle of nowhere in Jamaica, Queens, in this old lady's house. And I was just, like, afraid. The Iraq nice. war was about to start. Like, people were walking around with the M16s or whatever in oh, the subway God. for the first time. I'd never Woo. seen that. Like, it was just a different time. And I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. And so I just began writing this monologue that mm-hmm. was just a sort of testimony of, like, what it felt like to be that in that mm-hmm. moment. A, emotionally. And then once I went to grad school about a year later or six months later, um, this, I began writing my own songs and the songs also had a kind of personal touch to them. And then I started trying to put those into the monologue and then the monologue began to shift as Mm -hmm. I started putting those songs into the monologue. And then like, it was just a process of a slow process of, discovery of figuring out a structure and and who the character was and how was I going to differentiate Usher the character from me, the playwright, even though there was an obvious sort of overlap. He was a kind of alter ego. Um, And the the piece just came out of that. Whereas my next show after that, White Girl in Danger, was more plotted out. Like it was a plot-based sort of thing. And so then I mm-hmm. followed the like the sort of just building a play that way. So I can't give you like a this is how you do it. Like because it, it just depends on what it is. Well, was there a break? Did you get a big break in terms of the show itself or or yourself as a playwright? So I started writing the monologue, then I started writing the songs. And like in between, mm-hmm. I was like, this is very on and off. There was it was not a continuous um journey. And right. then there was this theater company that was starting to develop called Musical Theater Factory that was mm-hmm. started by this um, woman named Shakina Nafak. She was starting a new sort of musical theater development hub. And she said, do you have anything mm-hmm. that you want to bring in to work on? And I said, well, I've got this show that I've been sort of working on on and off for many years. And prior to that, I had done a one-man show version of the monologue right. song thing at mm-hmm. Ars Nova. And then that was where... Like, I had an experience where I was like, oh, I don't want to be in this. This is not about me. This is not about me, a perform- or, the performer. performer. Or exactly. even me, the the figure. Like, it's not about Michael R. Jackson. It's about a, a, a character that's drawn from my experience. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. like, I did, did some development there. Then I went to the Musical Theater Factory. And then I did some work on it in the writers group there. And then she said, you just need to do a residency. So I called up a director friend. We did a reading. It went over really well. And then from there, that was where the trajectory sort of slowly began. I just mm-hmm. got little opportunities to present excerpts of it. There's this one funny night where um, we presented like some songs at 54 Below. And, mm-hmm. Tony, that place. and Tony Danza was there. And we sang a song called um, Second Wave that has the, the refrain, the um, second wave feminist in me is at war with the dick sucking black gay guy. And then afterwards, <laughs> black gay man. And then afterwards, um, we went out to Tony Danza to say hello. And he says, goes, hey, it's the dick sucking black gay guys. And like, it was just <laughs> such a funny wow. moment. Wow. And Tony, who's the boss down? Tony, who's the boss One of my favorite yes. things. Yeah. And then yeah. from there, we did end up doing a full concert version of the show at 54 Below. And then mm-hmm. Playwrights Horizons uh. invited us to do a reading. For them, which ended up happening on the date Trump was elected. Oh, God. 
And so, but the reading was really, really good. In part, I think because people had come to it with all of their feelings about that day, just not knowing what to expect from like just a random reading on a Tuesday or Thursday or whatever day it was. And it was a really powerful, emotional reading. And then from there, a commercial producer became interested because um, nobody would sort of want to touch it after that. And so she felt like she just wanted to help it find uh, a life. And then I did Mm -hmm. some more work on it. We did another industry reading like nine months later. And then from there, Players Horizons said they would do it. And then we did it at Players Horizons in 2019. And then it went really well. And then the Great Plague of 2020 came. Then I thought my career was over. Then the Pulitzer came in 2020 in may of 2020 Ah. and then by 2021 we were doing it in dc and then we got a broadway house in december of 2022 this is unbelievable sorry december 2021 right um well i i I would like to ask you about failure because it's almost like if i look at the whole story that you just told me it can't be about one success that led to another, to another, and to another. Was there a failure or a few failures that you learned from that you could not have lived without that really shaped you? Do you mean specifically in terms of a strange loop? Yeah. Yes. Or is there one failure? Because you said at one point in this whole thing, you thought your career was over, right? Yeah. Like everybody did. The minute COVID happened, we were like, okay, get as much you know, bacon as you can right. because you're going to have to live off bacon for the rest right. and toilet paper, you yeah, know, whatever yeah. it is. Was there a great big failure in your career or in a strange loop, whichever you think is a more relevant answer, speaking of the word relevant and how we hate it? I don't know that there's anything that I would characterize as like a failure, but like there definitely were moments where I maybe had a setback or I had to recalibrate, but those moments I think helped me move forward. So like in an early, early draft of A Strange Loop, I'm very obsessed with um, the singer-songwriter Liz Fair. Like she's in my little triumvirate. It's her, mm-hmm. Tori Amos, and mm-hmm. Joni Mitchell. Like they're my like tr- holy trinity. Right. And there was a version of the script where I slash Usher had put these mashups of my music with Liz Fair songs from her first album, Exile in Guyville. And this is going to culminate in a final mashup of the Liz Fair song that was called Strange Loop Mm -hmm. um, on her first album with a song that I had written called Fanboy. And in the course of the musical, Usher was trying to get Liz Fair's permission to use these songs in the show, as I was doing in real life. And I was having great difficulty in making contact with her over like a long period of time until finally I did make contact with Liz Fair to ask her permission to use these songs in the musical. And she said very kindly, no. And she wrote me this email that was like, because the whole conceit of it was that her album Exile in Guyville was as legend would goes was a song for song response to the uh, the Rolling Stones album Exile on Main Street. And so mm-hmm. she writes on Guyville. And then my piece was in its own sort of way, a kind of response to Exile in Song to Song. In mm-hmm. Guy and it wasn't song for song, but it was like okay, but speaking it was... to that album and to the character mm-hmm. within that album. And she wrote in the note to me, I didn't ask the Rolling Stones to lend me their songs. I used them <gasps> for inspiration to write my own. I advise you to do the same. This ended wow. up being like crucial advice because even though I really loved those mashups and thought they were cool, her telling me through this letter that I needed oh to God. really focus on writing my own music to make the piece ended up being like crucial advice oh my God. that I used. And I was like, okay, well now I've got to like figure out how to wow. create like my own, truly my own musical engine and I think a lot of great songs came out of it as a result. And then in subsequent years, I've become acquainted with her and we're friendly mm-hmm. and we're like little pen pals and we email sometimes. And and it feels mm-hmm. like a real 
full circle moment that came because she said no. You know what I mean? Of course. This is like the very definition of what I'm talking about. When I ask this word about failure or about some kind of a setback that actually sets you forward so much more than you would have expected had it gone the way you thought. Right. right? That's what I'm talking about. Yeah, it was great. But I mean, like, I want to talk to you about, like, what some people refer to or, like, what we might have to think about as, like, the new show business. Right. Which has very little to do with the old show business, which is so scary, darling. It's It's so scary. I mean, two words. Social media. Go. I mean, it's a hellscape. It's really depressing. (laughs) It's, like, artless. It's airless. It's it's narcissistic. But also vampiric. I like coined this yes. phrase. This this phrase called like um, narcissistic vampires, who who only see themselves, but they have no reflections. Right. And that's what I sort of feel about this era in art in general, but in theater for sure. And it's very confusing because I I don't know what to do next other than to just do what I always do. But I also am very cognizant of the fact that like the sort of social mediafication of everything. And also, like, we just got through with this writer's strike. Mm-hmm. Everyone's sort of realizing that streaming was a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. There's no monoculture, so we can't really relate to each other. Everything's bifurcated. And so there's not a real sense of community. Or looking toward the arts is like a a, a, a big sort of melting pot but one that is shared for with everyone right even as people talk about inclusion and that's what i find so ironic about it is that like you hear so many conversations about inclusion and yet because of the tech and dig in the sort of digital revolution mm-hmm. everything's like totally siloed off and so how can it really be inclusive of anything exactly Exactly. And of course, it takes me right back to the top of our conversation. We were talking about just the whole idea of like human interaction, of meeting somebody physically in a room. Correct. These things are all related. They're They're totally related. related. They're all related. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy last year by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other. As Infinity presents... A new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. 
Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. The Barbie movie, did you like adore it? Did you gag the way everybody else gagged for I that thing? I did not. Me either. <laughs> I thought, me either. I, I love Greta Gerwig. I think she's amazing. Yeah. But, you know, it didn't feel like there was a movie there. It felt like a bunch of sketches, right? It was a vibe. It was a vibe. It was a social media vibe. It was, a, right. it was like an excerptable social media construction. Right. You know? And I look at that. And I think... But I felt the same way about Oppenheimer. I didn't see Oppenheimer. I thought Oppenheimer that, was... Can I stream it? <laughs> you see, if, you got so three, if you got three hours to kill... All right, I will do. But you know, honestly, if they would shoot something, I would go see it in a movie theater. Right now, it's all CGI. It's all special effects. It's all amplification. So why should I go so, to a movie theater to see it? And you know, know what's so interesting? In the last couple of months, I got rid of all of my streaming services except for Amazon, except for for Amazon, because I like to order stuff from there. That's my digital overlord. But like what I do on Amazon is I just rent movies all the time. Like in the old days when you would go to Blockbuster or Hollywood Video or whatever, Mm -hmm. and you'd rent a movie. And so like I'm finding myself just watching a lot of these old movies and watching so many of them. And then I'll go and see something new. And I'm just like, Y'all, we need to go back. Y'all, we need to go I back. Well, I just honey. and then I go to Metrograph a lot now, and like they'll scream something. And I just went there mm-hmm. the other day and I saw To Live and Die in L.A., mm-hmm. the William Freakin movie. Yeah, and yeah, it yeah, was yeah, yeah. And it's just night and day. Like these I movies, know, like these know, were like know, movies, cinema. I know, but even if they weren't cinema, like great cinema. They were like exciting to watch. Like I watched Adventures in Babysitting. Like a couple months ago. It's still just as, like, fun to watch it. Funny. And it's not like an ad for something. Right, right. Which basically Barbie was. I don't care what you tell me. No, it... It was an ad no, I for watch interviews. Evil Empire, I watch inter- I watch an interview... <laughs> yeah. A lot of interviews with Greta and Margot Robbie where they, like, talked about mm-hmm. making it. And, like, one thing that they kept saying was that we make sure to tell Mattel that, like, we were going to protect the brand. Really? <laughs> yeah! Oh my God. We're going to be a little critical, but like people are going to love Barbie. Mm -hmm. But also, like, I just felt fundamentally watching it like Barbie's not even really a character. Barbie's a plastic Rorschach test that you can project onto whatever you think and feel, which is why, ironically, in the advertising, they're like, if you love Barbie, you're going to love the movie. If you hate Barbie, you're going to love Barbie. It's like, Mm -hmm. because Barbie can represent whatever you want. If you want Barbie to be, you know, your anti-patriarchal, you know, warrior princess, then she will be that. If you want her to be, you know, the way that women understand their body, bodily autonomy, she will be that. If she she is an accessory, if she's a whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of felt like all of the discourse around it, all of the sort of politics around it were all just accessories, no different than a handbag or earrings that you stick in Barbie's ears. And all the endless, relentless marketing was just like, that was the story. And also think about the fact that, like, this is a billion-dollar movie that was, like, the thing of the summer, and now it's October 24th, and I don't hear people talking about Barbie. I know, but I brought it up only to kind of, like, put a little circle around everything you're talking about in terms of this art that we're missing, right. this this content that we're missing. Because when it first ha- started happening, Instagram, I was like, oh, fun, Instagram, right. you know, or whatever it was. I, I was never into Facebook. I could never bring myself to do that. But Oh, Instagram, that, was, that was my devil. Oh, really? Well, mine was Instagram. It still kind of is. And I always thought when it first started happening, however many years ago, I thought it relies on content. It relies on great art. But now what's so scary is it feels like because Hollywood 
Hollywood is run by these numbers that it's going the other way and there is no there there and they're relying on these numbers. So they do something like Barbie in order to quench and then it's this huge, scary success, which is what really freaks me out just a little bit. And then I think about like you and I think about me and I think about people who want to make stuff. Right you know, that actually has content and a little bit of story. By the way, can I tell you what you need to see? Speaking of Amazon, there's this movie called Cassandra. Have you seen that? I have not. Oh my God, darling. First of all, it's the sexiest thing in the world. Mm -hmm. It's about this Mexican sort of wrestler. And it's played by that incredibly sexy person from Mozart in the Jungle called Gael. Gael Bernal. Oh my God. Anyway, tonight, okay, you're welcome. All right, I'll check it out. Cassandra, you're welcome. Have you seen Riding in the Sun? No, what is it? It's this indie movie that's playing on movie, which is okay. like a random stream thing. And I recommend right. it. It's like a gay-themed movie, but it's really... Mm-hmm. It's wild. And it goes to like some really surprising places. And that's what I was like, oh, this actually zigged where I thought it was going to zag. Oh, and, I love and, the zig. And you can that. just like sign up for like a free week-long trial and just watch it and get rid of it if you want to get rid of it. Okay. It's a contemporary thing that's been made that I actually thought was really good. And then the other day when the guy sent me, he wanted to look for um the recommendation on Raya, which again, I don't hold mm-hmm. this. I also, if he's watching this, like I don't hold this against you at all. Like it totally oh makes God. sense. But call me again. Call me again. I'll no, date number two. No, no, he doesn't have way. to call Go me. On. He doesn't have to call me again if he doesn't want to. But um, but while I was watching Stranger <laughs> by the Lake, do you remember this movie, Stranger by the Lake? It can, it's a French no. movie from 2014. It's also this game movie that I highly recommend. It's super sexy. Oh, I do remember it. I do remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, I remember every moment. Um, there's a lot of nudity. There's in, a, right? lot. a lot, and of there's nudity. a lot of that in Riding in the Sun, and it's unsimulated okay. sex. It's like real, yeah. real sex is happening in both of these movies, mm-hmm. um, and they're wild. Anyway, that that's all. Those are my recommendations. I love that. Now wait, I want to bring this back. Are you working on something right now? Yeah, I have a a new musical that's a collaboration with my collaborator, Anna K. Jacob. She's a composer. We're doing an adaptation of the 2007 indie horror comedy Teeth. Oh. About the evangelical Christian girl who discovers she has vagina dentata. Teeth in her (gasps) vagina. Wow. So... Wow. So wow, that's a great idea. Yeah. I want to see yeah, that. That'll can be, that be, can it, that happen tomorrow? It'll can be in all the workshop February. Get it up. I can't wait. It'll be in February. We'll be at Playwrights Horizons. So when we start previews. So I'm working on that. Does that give you hope when you actually have a it's have a kind yeah, of Yeah, it's it's a funny thing is like I go through these like peaks and valleys sometimes like by the hour. Um, but it's when I'm working on something and like actually doing the work of like putting it together and figuring it out that I start to feel like the wind in my sails again. Like we just started recording the cast album from my last show, White Girl in Danger, and just mm-hmm. being in the studio and like re- being like, oh, music, singing recording yes like that people, people directing like, people yeah then i like get the wind in my sails again so mm-hmm. i have to sort of like be in a process to feel hopeful i don't i'm not currently feeling hopeful about like the industry but mm-hmm. i wrote this song a couple of years ago that was inspired by judith white where <gasps> she'd given me oh, some judith. really she'd given me this really great advice that i put into the song where she said the industry will always be the industry so fuck it, you know? And so I have mm-hmm. to, like, constantly balance, like, doing my work with not getting too worried about the industry, even though I do feel... Like, I'm also, like... I sort of come around to it. I'm like... Everyone's always like, get rid of gatekeepers. I'm like, more gatekeepers, please. <laughs> please, bring <laughs> them agree. back. Bring back I people agree. who actually have some fucking taste. And you don't yes, have to be... Uh, and you don't have to be, like... Well, uh, darling... A, a total snob about it but a little bit of snobbery goes a long you way wait a minute about what about saying, critics what no, about critics I think darling can critics, we have some critics i think the the critics have also degraded me too along, i mean alongside and so like now we're in this weird thing because a big part of what i notice in culture is that everything is about affirmation not to right. mention relevance. Like, it's relevance, affirmation. Ugh. And now because everybody's wanting to sort of reconsider the canon and reconsider history, and these things are fine, but mm-hmm. you just sort of toss it all out and then act as though your own sort of 
not Yelp, partic- opinion. Yelp opinions are are like <laughs> are as relevant re- or as, that they have yeah. any like meat to them. And also, you can't even argue with them because to argue or to debate itself, oh, I know, ideas darling. are like seen as some sort of like oppressive tactic, transgression, transgression. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, mm-hmm, no, right. fuck that. Ideas are meant exactly. to be debated, dissected, picked apart, like all the time. And so, like, the thing I just keep wishing is that the critics were, were just being more thoughtful, that they were actually like, and also and not darling, just going along taking, with consensus. Right. Taking more risk and saying, I hate, hate this. this. You know, you yes. can say, I hate it. Yes. That's your Everyone's job. Like, why you can't, hate it, you say you hate online, it. Online, people always say, why can't you just let people like things? My friend in Tume says, why can't you let people not like things? And <laughs> well, I because here's great. why. Here's why, darling. You ready? To quote the fabulous Judith Light, the industry will always be the fucking industry. That's why. Judith Light, she's (laughs) always right, darling. She's always right. She is. I have have a final question that I always ask, like, all of my guests. I don't know how you feel a bit about obits. I read them every single day, the little ones, the big ones. Okay, so you die, let's say, at about 104 or 98 or however old you want to be when you die. What does your obituary say, darling? He did it his way. (laughs) <laughs> does it say it in English or does it say it like in like every in language, language. <laughs> it says it in like seven different languages <laughs> he did it his way yeah. oh my god that is hilarious across America BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and Producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. That makes us FACET for life now, I guess. (laughs) Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. I feel like I have to pimp for you. I feel like there's someone out there. I mean, if you're interested, because I am very good at that. I'm a very big yenta. Listen, are Isaac, you like offended or something? No, seriously. Am I offended? No, sometimes people are like, I don't need your damn relationship advice. Fuck you. Get out of my no, face. No, I need all the advice I can get. I'm not getting any younger. So if you've got all somebody right. out there, <laughs> like, listen. I'm going to keep it in mind. Yeah. But the big thing with me is that I have to be able to talk to you about uh, anything. Of course. And you need well, to not be like, oh my God, you're a heretic. You had a thought that's like not approved. Like, 
Well, we need to be you able mean, to, you're talking about the person you're going to be with. Yeah, like right? we need to be able to like really well, like talk okay, about can it. I give you now think of me as Judith Light. Yeah. I will give you some advice. Time is the price of love, darling. Time is the price sure. of love. You will meet somebody who you like and it's not going to feel like eating your vegetables. It's going to feel like actually like you really want to be with that person because they're heaven and you just want to have sex with them and be and have fun and just go out to places. And then in 20 years, you go like, hey, we talk about all this shit and it's unbelievable and he can listen and I hate his fucking guts and he loves me and all that. And that's that's ideal. But like a couple of years ago, I was going out with this guy who... We started talking about something, and then he very sort of mysteriously said something to me that I didn't clock at the time. He goes, you're really not a static thinker. And at first I thought that was a compliment. But then I realized that he didn't mean it as a compliment. Right. He meant it as like, danger, danger. Oh, God. By static, you mean like from one idea to like a stasis of ideas? Yeah, like considering new ways of seeing or considering right. like another opinion. Like I'm not afraid. God forbid. I'm not afraid right. to engage, you know, an idea that's dangerous. I don't even think of ideas as dangerous. Like they're mm-hmm. just ideas that are meant to be considered and and you agree, you don't agree, you toss it, you change your mind, you change it back. Why? Because you're not afraid of like I'm not afraid of heterodoxy. The, at all. And here's another thing. I don't think that you're afraid to be poor if you have to be. You know what I mean? It's like people are afraid to open their mouths because they're afraid if they say something, they're going to cut off there. And what's, speaking of Sondheim, what's that great thing in in Merrily We Roll Along? Burn your bridges, darling. Burn the the bridges. May the bridges I burn light the way. But here's what I will say, like, and this is something I am dealing with now, is that because so much of, like, free speech has just migrated online, to me, it's not really free. And so I do feel stifled. And I do mm-hmm. feel often like I can't say what I think because I'm I'm actually hemmed in mm-hmm. into like this weird I know. Like, I know, darling. vortex. I know. And so the places where I feel free are like when I can actually write. And that's sort of where my free expression goes. It's into my work, into if I'm writing an essay or a poem or a song or whatever. Because there no one can judge me and they can't control me or like cancel me or whatever, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And I want that freedom with a person. I was going to say the other place that is available to you is at a dinner table with me or a lunch table or a breakfast table with me. I feel like we have to do this constantly. We have to have like meals together all the time. I will happily, happily meet you anytime. I'm not kidding. I'm inviting you. This is an open invitation. And then I can talk to you about, (laughs) and then I can talk to you about fame. (gasps) Fame! I'm gonna live Which forever. is my favorite. And I can tell you my like. Oh my God. And I love like watching you in it with your, your With cameo. my doing Shakespeare, yes, darling. With your Shakespeare. little clown thing. Which I made. I know, I know. Of course you know. Well, anyway, is there something you want to promote on um, this podcast? Yeah, come and see Teeth at Clarence Horizons in the winter. It's going to be a wild I can't ride. Wait. Um, if you like any of my music, you can find me anywhere you listen to music. Strange Loop, My Girl in Danger, coming soon. I also have some old albums on Bandcamp. If you want to listen to some old songs of mine. So any of that. Well, I love that. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You are a dream boat, and I am so going to pimp for you. I can't wait. I'm not kidding. I, I, Get ready. I'm ready. I like, give me, hit me out. <laughs> Okay, darlings, I was right. My intuition was that Michael R. Jackson is the smartest person on earth, only because I thought his show, A Strange Loop, was like the smartest show I've ever seen. And I loved it so much. And it resonated with me so deeply. Like, I really left that theater thinking that... I hadn't gone through something like that in the theater for a very long time. Like, it made me think and it made me feel. And here's the thing. I don't know him terribly, terribly well. This is like the second time we've met. But I feel like I now know that he's like a good person. And so I now feel like I have a friend in the world. And 
like, stay tuned because there are going to be so many dinners and lunches. And I'm not kidding. Like, I am literally going to force this person to dine and lunch with me on a regular and often basis. Anyway, thank you so much for tuning in. It was so much fun. Maybe, you know, spot us at our favorite restaurants, me and Michael having dinner at some point. Darlings, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and tell someone, tell a friend, tell your mother, tell your cousin, tell everyone you know, okay? And be sure to rate the show. I love rating stuff. Go on and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear about it. It makes such a gigantic difference and like it takes a second. So go on and do it. And if you want more fun content, videos, and posts of all kinds, follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Isaac Podcast. And by the way, check me out on Instagram and TikTok at I am Isaac Mizrahi. This is Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you. I love you. And I never thought I'd say this, but goodbye, Isaac. Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeartMedia. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Cara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Walter. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katanak at I Am Entertainment. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Does money stress you out? Let FACET flip your financial chaos into clarity. Finding FACET immediately put us at ease. FACET's innovative approach to financial planning ensures your money works as hard as you do, enabling members to experience the joys of having your finances in order. And that makes us FACET for life now, I guess. <laughs> Visit FACET.com, F-A-C-E-T.com to learn more. This ad is sponsored by FACET. FACET Wealth is an SEC-registered investment advisor. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities, nor is it investment, legal, or tax advice. These testimonials are from current FACET members who are not compensated. All opinions are their own and not a guarantee of a similar outcome. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details.